beginning of Advent, this season that we have, often just viewed as a time of celebration, is not just a time of celebration, it's a time of preparation. We have four weeks to contemplate on what is widely accepted as the threefold coming of Christ. And it's already been alluded to. We contemplate, we think back in order to prepare. Traditionally, two Sundays are given to look forward to the second coming of Christ, to have our hearts, our minds reminded and saturated with Scripture. And then the last two Sundays are given over to remembering and celebrating the first coming of Jesus Christ into our world. And it all culminates with Christmas Day. We've already looked at the tradition of the Advent wreath, and what a beautiful reminder. I'm very, very grateful to our pastoral staff, especially Pastor Shannon and Pastor Jen, uh, for their willingness to break with tradition. As you know, the Advent wreath uh, is always done with a very, very select focus on love, joy, peace, and hope. But as wonderful and as important, as biblical as those themes are, they don't necessarily capture the spirit of Advent, the spirit of Christ's coming, the fact that He is coming again. And that is really the heart of Advent. Because there are four Sundays dedicated to Advent, we have a bit of a challenge for us here at Evangel because we can only dedicate three Sundays to Advent. So we're going to be tying the themes in and there'll be overlap, but ultimately we will get to where we need to go on this theme. And the themes are very, very simply light, promise, hope, waiting with ultimately the arrival of Christ on Christmas Day. He brings light into our darkness. He gives promises amidst the predicament that we find ourselves in. He gives hope for anxious hearts. And He calls us, His people, as He did with all people that belong to Him, to watch purposefully for the fulfillment of His covenants. And that involves waiting patiently. Now, I just want to remind us once again that these themes are, are simply biblical themes that are weaved all throughout Scripture, literally from Genesis to Revelation. And it dawned on me, they're, they're kind of like the four legs of a table. They're not the focus, but they support, they sustain, they lift up. What do they support? What do they sustain? They, they support the one most important thing at the end of the day, and that is the fact that Jesus Christ came. The fact that He came into our lives, and the fact that He's coming back again. Now, if we were to have a, a thesis, or a purpose, or an intent for this Advent sermon series, it's simply this. A proper biblical understanding of the Christmas story that kind of goes beyond the sentimental and nostalgic baggage of church tradition, and there's a lot of it, is one which seeks to identify the parallels 
between Christ's first coming and his second coming in order to help us to look to the past in reflection and reminder of what Christ's done, and then again to look to the future in anticipation as we prepare for his second coming. Today, we're going to be focusing specifically on the theme of light in darkness. The fact that Advent takes place during the darkest time of the yearly calendar. Isn't it ironic that today is also the first day of Hanukkah, that our Jewish brothers, sisters, our, our forefathers, our forebrothers, if you want to, are celebrating this incredible event, which is characterized by light. I want to read these, well, we're, we're going to read these verses eventually, but I think it's important to, to kind of give us a climate as we go into this morning's message. When you go back to biblical times, if you go back to the Gospels, and you look at the, the social climate, the way things actually were, the, the culture, the atmosphere, the spirit of the times that Jesus was born in, you come to realize very quickly that it has almost nothing to do with the way Christmas is portrayed today. There are no shining lights, no Christmas trees, no carolers, no sleds, no happy elves, no Christmas movies, no Christmas stories. I love what Philip Yancey says, that the, the time in which Christ was born could probably be best characterized by what it was like to live in Russia under the reign of Joseph Stalin. Because it was a time of oppression, of deep fear. There were spies everywhere ready to rat you out if you spoke a word against Herod. He had secret police. He had assassinations and murders going on throughout his kingdom to quelch and to suppress any kind of dissent or discord or potential for rebellion. It was a very dark, scary, lonely time to live in. It was a time where you were constantly looking over your back and your shoulders because you didn't know what was going to happen. That was the time that Jesus was born into. And if there's a story in the New Testament, in the birth narratives, because you got to go back to Mark and Luke, or I'm sorry, Matthew and Luke to really kind of piece the verses together to get a big picture of it. It would be the story of Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, the elderly priests who went into the temple to offer incense, who was encountered by an angel, the angel Gabriel, who scared him half to death, and who was reminded that in his senior years, yep, he and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. How's that for irony? After John the Baptist is born by promise, Zechariah prophesies. Now, for us at this vantage point of looking back into the New Testament, we look at that prophecy of Zechariah, and a lot of it kind of sounds like, what does this have to do with the Christmas that I know of, the Christmas that I'm going to celebrate? 
It's like, Zechariah, you're talking about one, tr- one thing that has a lot to do with Israel and Abraham and covenant and promises and enemies and oppression and freedom and righteousness and holiness. And we go, what does that got to do with my Christmas? But then we realize that what he's doing is he's prophesying about John and about Jesus. And the, the, for me, the, the, the mystery, the majesty of this prophecy is that while he's saying this, John is still a baby, and Mary is walking around with Jesus in her womb. Maybe not for another 30 years, give or take, will any of what he's prophesying begin to take shape and and only lightly contours because it would not take it it would take maybe even up till today for a lot of that to really start taking shape that is the time that is the culture that is the space and place that the christmas story takes place in because today's advent theme is focusing on light and darkness I wanted us to go back and look at part of Zechariah's promise in addition to what John says about Jesus in his arrival. So let's go back. Zechariah prophesies this over John. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. When was the last time you heard something like that said at a baby dedication? And then John goes on to say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men, women, humanity. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And so there you have it. The very first theme of Advent. Light has come into darkness. Today, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this theme of darkness and how the light of Christ has not only penetrated darkness back then, not only has it penetrated our own darkness the day that Christ came into our life and turned the light on and we recognized our need of him, but also how that in this world that we are living in, 
A world that in spite of its technology, its military power, its movers and shakers, its economies, its buildings, its um, information technology, computers, social media, in spite of all the advances and the potential for changing humanity for the good, in spite of all of that, the Bible comes in as a voice squeaking in the crowd and saying, but all of this is ultimately darkness because that is where it's heading. That's a shocker. Now, light and darkness before the fall and after the fall. When you go back to the creation story, you realize very quickly that darkness has been given a bad rap. Now, it is universally understood between you and I, and I think all cultures, all religions, that light is good, dark is bad. Right? That, that is kind of light is symbolic of, of health and, and clarity and everything that's bright and warm and fuzzy, but dark is dark is dark. Well, you know, I, I honestly never thought otherwise until this week. So I'm going to say it once again because I always say it at some point or another. Yes, you can teach an old dog new tricks. Woof, woof. Do you know that, well, let me ask you this. Do you know how God counts a day in creation? Not from morning till night, but from evening all the way into the morning. And when he finishes creating a day, you know what he says? Well, this is half good. I mean, I got the light right. He pronounces all of it good. So let's get down to practicalities for you and I. When was the last time somebody shoved a flashlight in your eyes at two in the morning? How did that go over? Has Jen ever done that to you? She know better, right? <laughs> She's still here, yeah. You understand where I'm getting at. Is that in God's creative order, in his design, darkness was never meant to be something bad or evil or sinister or malicious. Darkness was part of the rhythm, part of the daily cycle. And it was important. Talk to individuals who live where it, in, in the north, in the Arctic, where you have days without night and then nights with, without day it gets really, really hard on the body. The point being is that from God's perspective, in the beginning, darkness was something good. And I might just throw this in, that when Christ comes back and restores not only individuals and humanity, but this entire world and universe, when he makes right what we have made wrong, Darkness will be put back into its proper boundaries and will serve the intended purposes of God. But it doesn't take long once we read the story that after the fall of man, darkness became really, really dark. Instead of serving God's purposes, it ended up serving man's purposes. I mean, think of the crimes and the evil and the mischief and the badness that takes place in nighttime, at, at, when it's dark, when people can't see. 
always with this mindset of who's going to see me? I can get away with this in the dark. How many times does David say, oh, foolish man, thinking that you can hide your evil in the dark that God can't see? He sees everything. And in a confession in Psalm 139, he says, you know what, Lord? Even if I say the darkness hides me, you see me in the dark as if darkness was light because light and darkness are all the same to you. That's comforting for those of us who are scared of the dark. You can confess that. That's okay. It goes without saying that throughout Scripture, darkness is used as a metaphor of humanity's lostness. Time and time again, the prophets speak of darkness. Think of Isaiah 9-2, for example. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. Jesus spoke again to them. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And when he began his ministry, interestingly, Matthew records this, land of Zebulon and land of Nathali, along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. For those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of God has come near. Light into the darkness. Jesus came as light in darkness. Over and over again throughout the New Testament, this beautiful metaphor of Jesus being light coming into the darkness of sin, the darkness of death, the darkness of evil and wrongdoing and oppression all throughout the scriptures. Before it ever came to us, we need to remember, and I think it's important that we respect in light of the whole biblical record, is that Jesus was sent to Israel. This was his first stop, the first part of his mission, to be the light to somehow bring to fulfillment, to, to, to kind of start wrapping up all the wonderful promises, the covenants that God had made with his people. That after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of believing the promises, of having hope based upon the promises, of waiting as kingdoms rose and kingdoms fell, for a Messiah to come to them and to make things right. They waited. They waited. And it begins with the birth of a little Jewish boy in a manger in obscurity. And again, you look at the biblical story and you realize, my goodness, it was like a tiny matchstick just flickering when you consider the darkness all around it of Rome and its power, its armies, the Herods, the religious oppression, and that handful of trusting, believing Jews who, in spite of the obvious 
would have the gall and the audacity to believe prophecies that were still recorded on scrolls, parchment that was drying up. It still, still had something within them to say, you know what? He's promised this, and it's going to happen. You fast forward to our lives here and now, and we realize that Christ came into our lives in so many different ways, but one thing I think we can say is that He came into our lives as light. What does that mean? I'm just saying that all of us have had, to some degree or another, this awakening, this dawning, this, this time where, where it just seemed like we were walking in the darkness of confusion, of a broken life, of misunderstanding, not knowing where we're going, not knowing what, what we're doing, why we're here, what's the purpose of our lives, why do we get up, why do we bother living, what are we aiming for, what are we looking forward to. Somehow we came to the place where all of a sudden, the light came on and things became clear. And we understood where we came from. We understood where we were going. We understood that our lives matter not because we've got a good job or we look good or we have a reputation or we acquired wealth or masses of toys, and, but that we, we are creating the image and likeness of God that we had substance and value apart from anything else. That we actually mattered, that we are a creation of God, and that at this point in time in history, there's a reason why we're here. And only the people who are here now, who have understood that, realize how important their lives are in what God's trying to do. The light came on. Just very quickly, Paul says this, but if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing. In this case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let sh light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a mouthful. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son he loves. God spoke into the darkness and he said, let there be light and light came. He spoke into the darkness of our hearts and metaphorically said, let there be light. And the light of understanding and purpose and significance and value and meaning and life and death came on. But we also realize that he is going to come back yet again and bring light into this world. Which I would probably say to you is um, when you look at the world the way it is, when you look at what we've been able to accomplish, when you look at what is in place, and I'm just talking about the good, forget about the evil. When you look how far we've advanced medically and with technology and travel and just our ability to stay connected to each other all over the world, like you say, Mark, 
are you really sure we're in darkness? Because it's hard to not look at progress the way we have all come to understand progress and actually think, well, this is not going to go backwards. It's only going to get better and better and bigger and better and faster and better and stronger and better and healthier and better. And yet, Scripture tells us over and over and over again that in spite of all what seems to be happening in our midst, an incredible darkness is going to come over this world. Paul alludes to the fact that there's coming a day when it looks like the world will be able to stand up and look at each other and go, we finally have peace. We've got peace. And then he says, suddenly, destruction. So I understand, and I'll say this, I'm just kind of like off the cuff. I know what it's like to have moments of awkwardness where my faith, in light of the realities of the world that I'm living in, kind of looks irrelevant, off, out of touch, right? It's kind of like a person in a crowd looking up at a blue sky and everybody's going, isn't it beautiful? Look, the sun is out. And this one little voice saying, yeah, but there's a cloud 10 miles down the road and it's on its way. And by the time it gets here, it's going to be big and nasty. And everybody kind of turns around and looks, dude, can you just like go away? Please. Just, the sun's out, the sky's blue, go away. But if scripture be true, rhetorical question, then that is the case. It's easy to look back at the times of Jesus and go, man, that was dark. No wonder Christ came. But folks, it is dark. Listen to what Paul says. Besides this, since you know the time it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. Because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. We could talk about the day of the Lord, the imagery of, of the sun being turned to blood and darkness coming over the land, and we just don't have time to. But my point is, quite simply, that Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back to a world that is not even coherent and in touch with its own darkness. Yes, granted, a lot of that darkness is internal, but then when you consider the darkness of the sex trade industry, you consider the darkness of the way countries literally rise and fall with money makers. I mean, I can go on and on and on. The, the emergency bunkers that are underground that have one switch that could release a nuclear arsenal and literally turn this planet into a bucket full of ashes. Let us not be fooled and misled and exaggeratedly optimistic 
by our progress. It's not really daytime. I wonder if while we are preparing for Christmas by decorating and baking and shopping and cooking and buying and giving and attending and hosting. And I mean, I, I love this stuff. Don't, I mean, like, let's face it. How beautiful of God to allow this season to be something that we can just honestly enjoy life with. And if you don't enjoy any of that, then, then you really are a Scrooge. I mean, just the food alone. Oh, my goodness. But while we are preparing for Christmas, I wonder if God's more concerned about how the Holy Spirit is trying to prepare us for Christ. Preparing us for Christ coming back in the same way as the Spirit of God throughout the first two chapters of Luke, just kind of working His way into lives of senior citizens and and the obscure and just waking them up and saying, he's almost here. You can die in peace now. You're going to see him with your very eyes. He's almost here. Thank God for Christmas. But let us never forget that as we are preparing for our Christmas celebration, the Spirit of God is preparing us for Christ. You know what I find amazing? is how on earth has Advent as a season, a religious tradition, how on earth has it survived 14 centuries? Now, go out in your neighborhood, and there's not a lot of people talking about Advent. But you know, very, very interestingly, you do a, a, a quick glance of the evangelical church, Pentecostals included, and you will find that instead of this quote-unquote, old religious tradition full of dust and whatever being kind of discarded, more and more believers are waking up to the beauty of what has survived our culture after all these centuries because they're, they're cluing in. You know what? What a great time of the year to actually not only look back at the coming of Christ, but to look forward at the fact that He's coming back again. What a way to take four Sundays and shape our services and shape our time in such a way that that's on the forefront of our mind. So that we're not, you know, barking at the pastor to preach a message about the second coming of Christ. That it is our responsibility that God has allowed in His great providence, culturally, to provide us with this opportunity to wake ourselves up and go, you know what? Yes, we can look back, but we could also look forward. I just want to talk to one group of people, and I would say it is, it is those of you who live between the two Advents. The first Advent when Christ came, and the second Advent when He will come back again. I know that when you and I talk about the second coming of Christ in our present cultural context, in the world that we live in, we, I mean, we're really putting ourselves out there for ridicule. I mean, how would you like to show up on Oprah or go to Capitol Hill or, or show up at Parliament in Ottawa and say, I firmly believe that Jesus Christ will come back the way he left. That's what Scripture says that there'll be a time and place in this world where we will all be able to see him. 
and he will make his return. Now, I want to be quite honest with you. If that doesn't get you surprise looks and the potential for a one-way ticket with a white gown into a house where they'll take care of you and give you all the Christmas cookies that you want, I don't know what else will. But for those of you who live between these two advents, you've looked back and you went, well, you know, that's nice. That's a cute story. And you look forward and you think, dude, do you really believe that? You really believe that he's coming back? You're caught between the two advents and you haven't made a decision about either of them. So I don't know how to talk about this in any other way than just simply say, would you please, would you please open up your heart to him, even for a moment? Open up your heart to him and let him say to you, let there be light. Scripture says over and over again, especially in the letter of Hebrews, that today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's another way of saying, don't resist that little knock in the door of your heart or in your conscience, that, that those, those thoughts that come back and say, you know, you really start, you, you really got to start paying attention to this and, and don't drown yourself out and distract yourself with, with fun and activity and stuff. Take this to heart and think about it before it's too late. I know why I resist the light, even in this present day. I get embarrassed when people expose wrongdoing in me. I'm ashamed when I see things in my heart and mind that don't belong there, that are as dark as dark can be. When I discover just how deep I can be depraved, I stand back and I almost shudder in unbelief thinking, after all of these years of walking with you, that's still there. That potential is still there. There's still a well of that. It's not gone. You see, one thing about a human being is that if they can hide something, it gives them some sense of control. And secrets are powerful, but secrets are also a prison. He wants to bring light into your prison today. So receive the light. As Paul told the Ephesians, wake up. Today is the day of salvation. Open up your hearts and let Christ come in and say, let there be light. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward, please. I just want to share a little story before we move into a time of prayer. You know, there's always a price tag to honesty, right? It requires a certain amount of discretion and tact and prudence of, you know, when you're, when you're honest. But I think we're living in a day and age, and I think as a, as a congregation, we're, you know, you're good people. So if I were to tell you something like, you know what, there have been times in my life where I struggled with depression. Like you wouldn't go, ah, he said the D word, stone him. Well, at least I hope you wouldn't. But I had seasons where it was really, really, really bad. And I remember one particular season where I, I just, you know, I couldn't shake it. And it was all-consuming. 
And I was reading the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the verses about Christ being the light of life. And I had a little candle in front of me, and just, I lit it. And I heard the voice of God speak ever so subtly to me. It was like, turn the lights off. Turn the lights off. And I realized, yeah, it was dark, except for this wobbly, winkly, little, pathetic candle. And he says, Mark, no matter how dark it gets, all the darkness in the world can never extinguish this little candle. And as long as I am in you, no matter how dark life gets, it's never total darkness. I'm always here, and you will get through this. That's why I play with candles, not because I'm a pyromaniac. So today, our invitation is very, very simple. We've covered a lot of territory, and thank you for your patience. We've tackled the theme of, the, of, of, of obviously what this season's about, the celebration of Christmas, but also the celebration of the fact that he's coming back. But when he first came, he came to a time and a place of darkness. And for those of you who experienced the love of Christ, when you experienced the taste of forgiveness, he came into your darkness. He's coming back to a world that is essentially dark. But right now, right here, today, we all have places of darkness within us, secrets, pain, shame, things that have festered in darkness and in secrecy for a long time. And you know what? Um, That's life. I don't know what your darkness is, but today I am going to invite our prayer team to come forward. We're going to come down and pray with you. And if, if, if you're simply saying, I want the light of Christ to come into my life, you don't even... It's none of our business, essentially. But whatever, wherever you want the light of Christ to come into, then we'll pray with you about that. For some of you, it is probably the first time that you've ever asked Christ to come into your life and literally to turn the lights on, the light of his salvation. And I hope that today, this would be an incredible opportunity for you to do that. Because I'll tell you, once you've seen the light, there is no turning back. Heavenly Father, as we gather now for this time of prayer before we dismiss, we simply ask you to, through the presence of your Holy Spirit, bring light. The greatest light, or the greatest thing that light can expose or reveal is simply our inescapable need of you. If we could only see that, then that is everything. So I pray for those who somehow are in a place where they don't see their need of you, that you, you, don't, you don't matter. You came, yeah, big deal. You're coming again, uh, not too sure. Would you meet that person now? And the grace of your light Bring clarity so they realize what's the point of living if you're not in it. Father, meet them with through your light. While the uh, worship team is leading us in this song, would you just come and we'd like to pray with you. We're not going to prolong this. For those of you who do have to leave, we understand time's going on. So you're officially dismissed. But for those of you who would like prayer, 
we're here and we'll be praying with you. Thank you.